welcome to episode 10 of the Man That Rants podcast. My name's Tim, and I'm the Man That Rants. Ten. A decade of the Man That Rants. Or at least it will be if I only did one a year. Maybe I'll switch to that format. Anyway, I wasn't here last week as I was on holiday in Cornwall. I had a great time, but that doesn't mean there still isn't something to rant about. A quick look through the Twitters and the Facebooks reveals yet another barren week, or fortnight actually, comments-wise. It's a bit disappointing. Oh well, let's just get on with things. Rant of the Week I've skipped the news this week because, well, news is becoming a parody of itself in a way, isn't it? There's not really much to laugh at. So we're straight into Rant of the Week. This is what happens when you travel eight hours to the other end of the country and then go to some pubs. It has often been reported how widely I detest people, mostly by me. Sometimes, though, I like to book the trend and actively seek out conversation with strangers. Recently, I went to Newquay to do some serious drinking, and as I was alone, decided that conversing with people I've never seen before and probably never will see again was a good idea. I bought a pint of fairly bog-standard ale in the Griffin and went and sat outside. As is de rigueur in these situations, I stared at my phone and avoided eye contact with anyone. But then a voice piped up. Are you from around here? The voice belonged to someone who very clearly wasn't someone from around here. He sounded American, or possibly Canadian. It's not always easy to tell. He wasn't melting plastic cheeks all over everything, so he probably wasn't American. And he didn't end his question with A whilst wearing an ice hockey jersey, so he probably wasn't Canadian. I told him I wasn't local in my best League of Gentlemen voice. He had no idea what I was talking about. We chatted for a bit and I decided to ask him where he was from. He was from Georgia, presumably having travelled to Newquay by midnight train, and his name was Zach, as American as apple pie and chicken in a can. He was clearly quite a savvy type, though, as he described orange leader of the free world Donald J. Drumpf as a dick. But he was also clearly an oddball, as he'd travelled to Cornwall alone and said that next time he'd maybe bring his girlfriend with him. I learned that he had a running buddy from the hotel where he was staying, and that morning he'd been running, or, the, or they'd been running, in fact, around Crantock. Hang on, that's where we were staying. Rewind to earlier that day, and two guys were jogging on the path above the beach. Myself and Mrs. Man that rants were walking on the very same path. The two guys disappeared into the distance and then reappeared behind us a few minutes later. We were lapped by fitness freaks. Anyway, it turns out that one of these fitness freaks was Zach. What a coincidence. Well, not really. Crantock is something like four miles from Newquay as the crow flies, so it's quite reasonable that we should bump into each other twice. Did your wife have poles with her? My wife did indeed have poles with her. The kind that people use as part of a walking exercise routine rather than Lech Vowensa. I don't even know I'm saying that right. Lech Vowensa and one of his countrymen. This was how Zach remembered having seen us. Not the fact that I've got a colossal beard that usually makes me the one that stands out. I decided that Zach would probably be a bit, be a bit shit at identifying a suspect in a police lineup. As the conversation was flowing quite well, I did the only acceptable thing under the circumstances. I downed my beer and buggered off to another pub. The next pub was called Wax. It used to be a bank, but was now a cocktail and craft ale emporium, the kind of place that usually surgically removes your wallet upon entry. The barman was friendly and gave me so much information about a variety of beers that I became quite overwhelmed. I got myself a pint of some limited edition stuff from St. Austell and set about drinking it, which seems quite foolish for something so rare and collectible. There was a cockney at the bar. Cornwall's full of cockneys, either those who moved there to escape the big smoke or those who have gone on holiday in search of restaurants owned by colossal shit bastard and gentrification enthusiast Rick Stein. This man was one of the former. So anyway, I'm standing at the bar in the battle cruiser talking to this lemon squeezer and I had to go up the apples and pears to the Kazi. 
When I came back down, you wouldn't Adam and Eve what he said to me. You should have seen my bout race. Oh, I can't keep this up. Anyway, he talked to me solidly for half an hour. I now know that the Firkin pub chain was either bought out or driven into the ground by Weatherspoons. I know there's a pub in Lewisham that is the only reason worth going to London for absolutely anybody. I know that his sister still lives in London, and that when he goes and that when he goes to see her, he takes the bus to Victoria and books into a hotel for the night to give him sa- himself time to acclimatise before travelling on to her house the next day. I also know pretty much his entire medical history. I spoke maybe two or three sentences the entire time I was standing next to him. But while I was in there, I was actually looking for a place called it was something like the Number Five Brew House, which sounds like the kind of bar where you'd find Lou Bega. The barman in Wax had never heard of this place, but he was happy to Google it and give me directions to the place where Google told him it was. So I headed there, promising I would return, whether I found it or not, to inform both him and the Cockney at the bar of the situation. They were quite pleased by this. I found the location of the pub I was looking for, but it had closed down a while ago, and I didn't bother going back to Wax. That evening I decided to sample one of the pubs in Crantock. For a sleepy village it was a little odd that it had two pubs, both of them right across the road from each other, I'd been informed that the Cornishman was a hostile place for outsiders, despite the massive banner outside declaring, Everyone welcome! I couldn't make out if there was small print which read, But only if you've lived here all your life, and your parents and grandparents have done the same, beneath it. I chose the Albion instead. I got a pint and went and sat outside at one of the picnic tables. A show was about to start. A van and a car pulled up. They were full of cockneys, don't you know? They spilled out of the vehicles and talked about an altercation they'd had with another motorist on the way. It's easy on roads that are barely wide enough for one car to find yourself in a situation where you or another driver will have to yield to the other. This lot weren't the kind to give way to others, though, and they were aggrieved by the fact that the driver of another car was just like them. I should have punched the fucking cunt, innit? said the elders of the party, a man who looked like he would have a heart attack if he used a hole punch, never mind his fists. Yeah, you should have, enthused his grandson, but probably not in that kind of voice or accent. These people were clearly arseholes. <coughs> The back of the van was opened and a double pushchair was folded out. Two babies were placed in it. The family then tried to enter the pub, through a normal-sized door, with a double pushchair. It won't fit through the fucking door, innit? One of them said, as if country pubs should all widen their doors just in case this lot turn up. The double pushchair was put back in the van and the babies were carried into the pub. Babies, in a bloody pub. It was about 9pm. Ridiculous. Barely a minute later, the whole family filed back out. Evidently, a popular pub such as the Albion requires people wishing to dine on a Saturday night to book. The family were aggrieved once more, obviously expecting that all pubs should have a secret room which is saved just on the off chance that they should turn up and want to eat when it's busy. And this is where it got really funny. The family had parked both vehicles in the car park outside the Cornishman. The car park, despite its location, was very clearly marked for Albion patrons only. As the family crossed the road to try the hostile boozer, the landlord from the Albion came out to tell them that they'd have to move their cars. Needless to say, they weren't happy. There was much chuntering. All right, I'll fucking move it then, said the hard-as-nails grandad, getting into the van, although no one seemed to make any effort to move the car. In the meantime, the rest of the family went into the Cornishman. As grandad was moving the van, they all came back out. A minute or so later, fucking full, innit, remarked one of them. They all then climbed back into the two vehicles and sped away, every single one of them glaring at the landlord from the Albion as they left. Cunts, muttered the landlord. Shit film of the week. A few weeks ago I met up with real-life person that I know, Matt. Hi Matt. He suggested that Jurassic Park should be shit film of the week. 
I agreed that the latest one, not the one that's about to come out, or indeed has come out, depending on when you're listening to this, was it called Jurassic World? The one with Ron Howard's daughter in it anyway, where you're pretty much supposed to pretend that the first three films never happened. And why would you do that? The first one was absolutely brilliant. The second one was quite good up to the point where the ship crashes in San Diego and the T-Rex runs wild on the streets. That was really jumping the shark, or the Stegosaurus. The third one, not based on one of Michael Crichton's books and purely churned out to make money, is best forgotten. William H. Macy with a dubious pawn moustache assuming some kind of action hero role. No thanks. The latest one, again, not the new one, but the other one. The fourth one. I've just checked and it is called Jurassic World. It's terrible. Nobody predicts that making a hybrid dinosaur with the DNA of two already dangerous beasts could end badly. And they shoe on in a needless love story aspect too. Despite its terribleness, it was still a box office smash, which proves that cinema goers have probably become a little bit simple. What they really should do is start again in a realistic way. I don't mean calling it Cretaceous Park, or anything else that would be geologically more accurate. I mean just making it more realistic. So here's the real Jurassic Park. Not to be confused with the real housewives of Jurassic Park, which is probably already a thing. Right, Richard Attenborough. Was Hammond his name? We'll say it was. Hammond. I want to get dino DNA out of flies that are encased in amber. Is it possible? Scientist. Yes, but why would you want to do that? Hammond. To create real dinosaurs and open a theme park. Scientist. Sounds dangerous. People would probably end up dead and the whole thing would teach you a very harsh lesson about man never being supposed to play God. I would advise against it. Hammond. You're probably right. I'll shelve my plans for that. Jeff Goldblum. Can't remember what his character was called. That's one big pile of shit. The end. Podcast of the week. I've had the chance to discover a few new podcasts recently, so this feature will live on for at least another three or four episodes. This week's chosen podcast is a comedy affair. It's meant to be about football, but there's not actually that much football on it. It stars Bob Mortimer, partner in crime of Vic Reeves, and one of at least three celebrities who have blocked me on Twitter. It seems he didn't like me interjecting when he and another comedian were patting each other on the back and telling them to stop with the public circle jerk. Anyway, I still think Bob Mortimer's quite funny. He presents this with a guy called Andy. Is Andy also famous? No idea, mate. Andy is from Sunderland, and every week Bob sings him a self-penned song about how shit Sunderland is. That kind of thing is never not funny. So if you enjoyed the classic shows Vic Reeves' Big Night Out and Shooting Stars, then you might well like this, even if you don't like football. But perhaps not if you're Peter Beardsley, as the weekly impression of him might upset you a little bit. The podcast's called Athletico Mints, and you'll find it at athleticomints.com. There's no way I'll ever get an invite on there, though. Bastards. Shit album of the week. Seeing as how it's rare that I actually choose a single album to run down, this feature should probably be renamed. Music rant of the week. I'm not entirely sure this is a rant, technically speaking. Who cares? My podcast, my rules. This is the write-up of a gig I went to in Hull a few years ago. They were actually kind enough to publish my review in the Hull Daily Mail, a paper in no way affiliated with right-wing toilet paper rag, The Daily Mail, probably because it allowed them to fill a music page in their paper for free. This is not the version they published, though. <coughs> Excuse me. It had been a while since I'd witnessed a live music event, and it was time to rectify this. I shelled out £8 for a ticket, a 9.45 chariot fare, and then I was on my way to a punk all day in Hull. The venue, Fruit, is on the site of the city's historic fruit market in an old warehouse. Warehouses aren't renowned for their warmth, and when I arrived at three o'clock, I thought they might as well have held the event in an igloo. It was December, I'd like to add. 
There were mostly young people in there, as us old folks like to say, and I was sceptical as to whether the day would be any good or not. The first band was on at four, which gave me an hour to play with my phone and avoid eye contact with hoodie-wearing youngsters. One band had pulled out, and the openers were a hasty last-minute addition to the bill. They didn't bother to introduce themselves, but I heard someone say they were called Nothing's Happening. They were terrible. If two of you had formed a band with me at ten to four, and we didn't know any songs, we'd still have been better than them. The guitar was far too fuzzy and the songs incredibly simplistic. Even their song about summer, ironic given the arctic conditions of the venue, sounded like a rip-off of the Sex Pistols' Holiday in the Sun. The drummer was pretty good, though, and I had to wonder why he was wasting his time with two others who seemed to lack talent. The drummer and bassist swapped instruments for the final song, and the former revealed himself to be a better bassist than the other guy as well. I hope that things will get better. Thankfully they did, as haters of the space bar, run off the static, that's all one word, took to the stage. They had much better songs and much more energy. The girl who fronted the band, who actually found out later was that was really a guy swung the microphone around his head in lethal fashion while the guitarist threw some quite mental shapes in the bassist pogoed. I have to admit it wasn't a kind of gender confusion thing so much it was really um I was standing at the back he had quite he had quite a high voice I thought it was a 14 year old girl anyway enough about that the guitarist managed to snap a string at one point with his aggressive playing and had to borrow a guitar from another band to complete the set he seemed hell-bent on wrecking that one, too. They finished with a frantic cover of Shout. Yes, that Shout. Now, I say, yes, that Shout. I'm thinking of Tears for Fears, but it wasn't them. Was it Lulu? They left the stage to rapturous applause. The guy promoting the show was outside after this, talking to his parents, who had turned up to show support. This tells you how young everyone was. He said they'd sold 70 tickets, which he was quite pleased with. In a city the size of Hull, there simply had to be more people who were interested in this kind of music, though. The third band were called System Paralysis and were another three-piece. The singer-guitarist looked like the singer-guitarist from Spinal Tap and the bassist had the most ludicrous mullet I'd ever seen. They opened with a slow Scar song which became much heavier. The rest of the songs had a feel of hardcore band GBH, which is never a bad thing, especially if you're a fan of retro British hardcore. It was obvious that whoever had arranged the bill was doing a sterling job as the bands just kept getting better. Next up were Yossa, named after the character in Boys from the Black Stuff, although the reference was probably lost on most of the audience and possibly most of these listeners, or my listeners, you listeners, hello. The venue was starting to fill up a bit at this point, and I no longer felt conspicuously old, although I did suspect that the majority of el- elderly or older people were the parents of people in the bands. Yossa played for half an hour, and they played some incredibly good punk songs, broken up by the guitarist banter about hats. I can see great things happening for them, the band, not the hats, if they persevere. Double Down followed them. Maybe they were fans of uh, Blackjack or something, I don't know. All of the songs seemed to be about drinking, which went down well with those who had been on the sauce all afternoon. A guy wearing an Argentina football shirt who was either drunk, special needs or both, particularly enjoyed them. He was even told off by the surly bouncer for throwing lager about, which is quite fair, you don't throw lager about. The band's original drummer was in the crowd and they coaxed him on stage to play one of their older songs. He was clearly hammered but made a good job of it. The Hyperjacks came on just after at 7.45 and played an odd mix of 50s rock and roll and punk. They even had a double bass. Wait, the guy playing the aforementioned bass, wasn't he one of the guitarists in Yossa? Yes, he was. He spanned the bass around and slapped it till his fingers bled, to paraphrase a certain Canadian boredom merchant. People were actually dancing to them. Not me, though, obviously. My decision to stay off the booze meant dancing was off the agenda. Still, the Hyperjacks were the best band of the day for me. There were technical dif- difficulties with most of the band. 
Any request of, can I have more in my monitors, led to the room being filled with feedback and the mic for the guitar amp had to be held in place with tape. Scarcorer's faintest idea had even more bad luck. The wireless microphone the saxophonist had wouldn't work. He had to play into a standing mic, which didn't help as he started the set in the crowd. They were very entertaining, though, and filled the void in between Capdown and the Voodoo Glow Skulls, if you have any idea where either of those are. The guitar was perhaps a little too loud for everything else, but it was all done on a tight budget and even tighter timetable, so it's forgiven. Sadly, they were the last band I saw as I had to go and catch my bus, so I missed counting coins. I hope they were shit. Classic rant of the week. This week's classic rant is a look back at a job interview I had a few years back. I had a job interview on Thursday. I know I've written about job searches before, but this is an entirely new rant. The job was in a call centre, which isn't something I was particularly enthusiastic about, but it's a job I could do. I arrived for my 10am interview at 9.45 to show I was keen and they still made me wait until 10. That's fine. I imagine there was more important stuff to be done before they talked to me. I was escorted in and offered no refreshment whatsoever. This has never happened before, possibly in the history of this country. Every interview I've ever attended has involved me being offered tea or coffee the minute I arrived. This lot obviously meant business, I thought. No tea and niceties, just straight to the point. The guy interviewing me was clearly more nervous than I was. He had a list of questions and he had no intention of deviating from them in any way. He also clearly had a phobia of making eye contact with anyone. I asked you a question you gave a very detailed response. So detailed, in fact, that you've answered the next question I was going to ask. Of course, I shall ask you the next question anyway, and you will have to pretend that you aren't repeating yourself because I have an order to stick to, and if I don't stick to it, the world might end. As you tell me the same things I should have noted down two minutes ago, I shall nod and make appropriate listening noises while I pretend to make notes on this sheet of paper. I'm actually just drawing a picture of a cat, but you can't see what I'm doing, is what he might as well have said to me during the interview. The standard questions were all asked, but I have a problem with the marriage and kids question. My marital status, and whether or not I have kids, I don't, or decide to have kids in the future, I won't, has absolutely nothing to do with my ability to do any job. The implication was that they wanted someone who didn't have kids, as they are less likely to take sick days. I'm pretty sure it's illegal to employ someone on that basis. I was interviewed while they were still advertising the position too, before the closing date for applications. That's illegal too. They haven't acquitted themselves too well here, have they? The final nail in their coffin was the we'll phone you tomorrow and let you know either way promise. Tomorrow came and nobody phoned me. I actually phoned them at five o'clock to ask if they made a decision, but there was no one there to talk to. Thanks for making me wait all day. I really appreciate that. If you're reading this after Monday, or listening to this after Monday, I really should have read this before I did it. Keep it in its original form anyway. If you're reading this after Monday, then they still haven't been in touch, or I didn't get the job. I won't tell you who this company is with such a slapdash attitude to recruitment and the law, though. I can't even remember what they were called now anyway. Yeah, that was a job interview. Great stuff. Well, that's it for this week. I'll be back in a week's time with what's going to be the season finale of season one of the Man That Rants podcast. I've got a few exciting things planned and there's going to be a very, very exciting announcement. And I didn't mean to sound as quite as sarcastic as I did when I said that. It is, it is actually quite exciting, or at least it's something I'm excited about. Whether it's something anyone else is excited about remains to be seen. I might leak some information during the week. I might not. You might have to just wait till next next weekend next Sunday, next Saturday, depends what day I do it even, as, to find anything out. In the meantime, I'm at the man that rants on Twitter, the man that rants on Facebook, or you can email me, the man that rants at outlook.com. All comments are welcome, and will more, more than likely be read out on next week's show. 
Uh, visit my website, themanthatrants.wordpress.com. Two, a new rant was re- added recently. You must read it if you haven't already. Um, yeah, that's it then. Okay, thanks for listening. See you next week. Bye. <laughs>